Hello, everybody, and happy Halloween, or should I say happy Reformation Day? There you go. Uh, we there are we go. Yeah. Protestants. Yes, that's right. We are recording today on this, the 31st day of October, uh, me and Jackson here, and so we're happy to be with you guys, be back uh, talking a little bit more um, about really some important and helpful things today, I think. Uh, we're going to be talking about idols today. Uh, so pretty excited about that. Right. Here um, we stand. We can do no other. That's right. That's my Martin Luther quote for Reformation Day. You were uh, Halloween. I'll be Thank you. That's right. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah. How are you doing today, Jackson? I'm doing great. We just had a, a good lunch. I've uh, been to a study this morning talking about how to try to help make stronger families. Um, one fact that I can just share from that that I'll say till the cows come home is if you want to know the strongest factor, then there's a, there's often multiple factors, but the strongest factor in a uh, young person remaining in the faith when they grow up, it is the presence of a, an involved father. Mm. Man, how did I already know that was going to yeah. be the answer? Somehow I already knew. That's, uh, yeah, there you go. Good information. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good. So you went to that study, and yeah, we did have a good lunch. Yeah. Um, one of these days, I'm going to run you out of your food. You feed me almost every time we record these podcasts. Well, it's good. And, and uh, uh, Sam Walton, he's just got more food all the time. So <laughs> Sam Walton, owner of Sam's Club. <laughs> <laughs> he's just bringing it in every week. And I, I was like, believe me, I am not putting him out of business. Who is Sam Walton? He must have joined the church since I left. I don't know. I don't know. That's too funny. Yeah, cool. Well, I have not been nearly as productive as you. I got a haircut this morning. That was kind of uh, what my morning consisted of. That and making extra trips across town to go get a backpack <laughs> that I forgot. Fun. Yeah, yeah. But uh, at any rate, it's good to be here now with you, having uh, our bellies filled and now preparing to uh, talk about our our topic for today. So if you are listeners to our to our podcast on a regular basis, or if you at least listened to last week, uh, you'll know that last week we talked a little bit in our inter- introduction about some things that have been going on um, for myself and my church, how we've partnered with the church in Rome, and specifically we talked for a moment, just briefly addressed the the idols of Rome uh, that the church planners there and pastors there have sort of identified as as a a part of their attempt to reach the the city of Rome, uh, part of the exercise that they've done, that they've engaged with, and they encourage their church planners to do when they send out new church planners with their specific um, neighborhood, is they identify what are the idols of this neighborhood? What are the idols of this city? Um, what is it that has taken captive the hearts of these people? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a helpful practice, I think, because it helps you identify where ministry needs to be happening and, and what sort of the the barriers to the gospel you're going to be facing and seeing and how best to address those in an effective way. And I was really impacted by this. And as you and I talked, um, we decided, myself and Jackson, that we were going to come up with uh, sort of an, an Idols of Evansville episode of the podcast. And so that's what today is. Uh, we're going to take this idea that that we picked up from them. Um, and we're going to talk about what we consider to be some of the idols of Evansville. This isn't going to be an exhaustive list of of what maybe holds captive people's hearts and affections here in Evansville, but I think, you know, maybe to a certain degree, it will be a pretty good representation or picture of what we think as as men pastors who have been here in Evansville for a long time. I've been here my whole life. You've been here at least how many uh, years 17 now? years. I was going to guess 15. Yeah, yeah 17 years. Mm-hmm. So, um, 
Yeah, and and I think where it's helpful to start is where this idea has kind of come from. And I have a helpful article that was emailed me um, from the pastors there in Rome where they got the idea to sort of identify what the idols of Rome are. And it came from a, a church planning organization called City to City, uh, or excuse me, Redeemer City to City. Uh, it's a it's a church planning group organization designed to help uh, partner church plants and people who are going to plant churches in other countries with churches in the United States here for uh, for aid, for teamwork, for fellowship, uh, community, all these kinds of things. And they have a special emphasis on church planning. And one of the things that they insist all of their church planners do is they go and they plant around different places in Europe, kind of specifically is where they target, is they encourage them to do this practice of identifying uh, the idols of the city. And it's an article written by Leonardo de, de Chug... I'm going to mess up. <laughs> it's written by Leonardo, uh, the, the pastor there in Rome that we met. Uh, it's de Chirico, if I'm, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, Leonardo, if you're listening, I'm so sorry if I'm mispronouncing <laughs> your name, but I know you're very gracious and will forgive me. But um, yeah, and so what we're going to do is we're going to kind of talk a little bit about what it means to identify the idols of your town, of your city, and then we're going to sort of, myself and Jackson, attempt to identify what we think some of the idols of Evansville are. Does that sound good, Jackson? Yes. Um, I wanted to give a little more context. Uh, we don't talk every day uh, about idols. Uh, we don't talk about how uh, how idols get into our lives. And uh, I thought we ought to talk about that uh, a little more, about the basic uh, idea here. And especially in a time when we sort of have TV shows like American Idol, which elevates this as... Um, as something that's just a friendly, everyday notion of something that you are putting up on a pedestal. I watch mm-hmm. a, a Survivor, and on Survivor, what they are after every week is an idol mm-hmm. uh, in terms of, well, it offers safety so that they won't be eliminated, uh, whether it's the group idol or the individual uh, immunity idol. But uh, the Bible talks about idols, uh, and we make a mistake, A, if we think that idols were only worshipped in the Old Testament, mm-hmm. an idol is anything that would take the place of God in your life, and something's at the center of your heart. So that is what you worship. And one of the peculiar things about us that um, since we are, are us all the time that we don't notice is that we are constantly worshiping and praising. We, we are always uh, either blessing or cursing something. Um, you don't go a day in your life without a blessing and often cursing. Uh, because in, in the biblical context, blessing is when you speak well of something and cursing is when you speak ill of something. And so we are constantly, because of the way we're made, telling each other about the things that add value to our lives and the things that take away value or that we've wasted time on. We instinctively know that we don't have infinite time and that we can't be giving ourselves uh, to things that will let us down. I mean, reputation is one of these things. We are constantly giving hints to each other about what you think about someone um, and whether or not they are worth spending time with and these sorts of things. Well, we are constantly doing that about everything. And we will uh, speak well or ill of of everything. But what's dangerous about that is that means that constantly we're giving each other um, these ideas about what are the good things. And one of the... One strange privilege that we've had in the last few years is we now know a truth about our culture in general. Uh, what what happened in in the pandemic? Look, there there were 
there were things we should have done to be careful, but I think most people could agree that there was not an understanding that there are things that you do to stay alive and then there are things that you do uh, to live. Mm-hmm. And we became very concerned about staying alive. Yeah. And most anyone you will talk to who deals with the after effects of the pandemic um, would agree that we did not consider well enough how to keep living, how what sort of things are worth dying for, uh, whether you talk to someone who had a family member die alone in a nursing home or mm-hmm. whether you talk to someone who lost relationships because they refused to leave their house. Um, there were things that we could have done, but it was new and it was challenging. And so what we want to do, I mean, one way to make good on this is to figure out what things are really worth giving yourself to. Um, Because that's what we're doing. If you say to someone, this movie was great, you're telling them it's worth the two hours that you'll have to invest to get it. Um, and, And that's just a simple example, but we're doing that about all kinds of things. Well, the things that are false, the things that will ultimately betray you are things that can creep into the center of your heart, but then will not prove to be worthy of your ultimate devotion. Um, We are devoted to all kinds of things. Uh, We can be. And uh, the Bible, in fact, tells us you have to be very careful of what you give your devotion to. And especially if you worship anything other than God, it will betray you because it's not worth that place in your heart. Everybody does this. There's nobody who doesn't worship. Um, There's so much in the Bible about this. Jesus says, bless and do not curse. There's so many things in there. But this is just a, a, a basic idea of what's happening in idolatry, and it is going on all day, every day. Yep. We're all burning something in our own hearts every day, and it is going to amount to something every day, and then it will ultimately amount to something in the end of our lives. In the end of our lives, we will have dedicated our lives to something. And the Bible, God over and over and over and over in the Old Testament is saying, you people are giving yourselves to things that will betray you, and I, I will not have it. Right. Um, and in fact, Jesus picks up that theme as well and changes. I mean, takes this. This is the very point of giving us a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone so that we can have a new life mm-hmm. that is not just addicted to these things that will destroy us. Yep. And so that's the context uh, that we're talking about with idols. And so it is worthwhile for each of us to think about what sorts of things we are prone to creating as idols in our own heart, but then it's without a doubt, as much as we like to think of ourselves as lone individuals just plotting our own course, you're influenced by yeah. the culture, the people around you, the people that you love. You have to trust someone, and then you are going to listen to them, and you should. The, the Bible, in fact, says you should love God first and then love others and that we live in those kind of relationships. We live in vertical and horizontal relationships, and you can't keep from it. It'll, you, will, you will die inside if you mm-hmm. do that. Yep, that's right. That's a helpful clarification, too, to say, which, which is what you did and so much more, say, like, the word idol doesn't necessarily mean a little totem. It doesn't right. mean a, a, a golden calf. It doesn't necessarily mean these things. It means um, what are this thing? what is this thing you're giving yourself over to, mm-hmm. right? What are, what are you allowing to kind of take captive your your heart um and in the same way it you know become the thing that you a thing that you worship and worship itself a similar clarification worship doesn't mean where you go and, and enter a place and sing songs and and sit in in ordained buildings whatever or, right, ornate right, buildings right. whatever um you can worship far from anything like that um and we do we worship things all the time and so yeah a part of what we're doing here, as you rightly acknowledge, is is a little bit of self-examination too. Whereas when I think about, even as I was thinking through what are some of these things that um, 
that can be idols for myself even like there is a tendency to want to um let these things take a place in my life that the lord hasn't given them for um and and that they're not and, and that's oftentimes what is the case is is we take things that are not necessarily in and of themselves bad things things that are oftentimes given to us by god and are good things in and of themselves but we give them a place that they were not intended for and we give them a precedence and we put them in a a sort of affectionate place in our lives a place of even worship and honor and reverence that they don't yeah. deserve um and so we're going to talk a little bit about those but first we want to talk about why you do this what is the point of this practice and in the the article written by leonardo uh, he talks about the the sack of Rome back in the what is it the sixteenth um, uh, well, no what's AD four ten wasn't even close uh, AD four ten when um, when Rome was uh, was invaded and it was sacked and it was shortly after the time when uh, Rome was considered to have been a Christian. Uh, place right right this so was Constantine after Constantine and Milvian Bridges 310 yeah. 311 and uh, then there's sort of toleration for Christianity but pretty in pretty short order uh, is Christianity becomes the state religion of Rome right right and so there was sort of this sentiment at the time after Rome was was sacked it was attacked all of this terrible things happened there was a sentiment among many who said okay well this has happened to us because we have left paganism we have forsaken these gods that we used to worship, and now this has happened. Um, thinking that if the God of the Bible were truly the one true God, if he were powerful, if he were worth our worship and our affection, certainly our soul affection, then this would have never happened. Mm -hmm. And that's what prompted Augustine to write the book City of God, which you've read, right? Uh, no, I've I've read like 70 chapters. They're short chapters, but there are hundreds of chapters in this book, and um, I don't know what anyone would expect when you come to the city of God. It's enormous. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and it's uh, pretty technical as far as like he'll speak to about, well, here's what's, what happened with this senator in Rome. And the reason that he fell is because he did this. And you're kind of going, wow, I, I yeah. don't care. Uh, well, but, I, didn't mean, I didn't mean to shame you for having not read. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. Uh, I just wanted to read it so much. And I ordered it uh, on a physical copy. And when it came, I was like, whoa, <laughs> this is like an encyclopedia. Yeah. And then you start reading it, and it is not uh, immediately applicable. Like if you buy Augustine's Confessions, it's short and yeah. so applicable. Yeah, uh, something like Soliloquies is so powerful and deep and short. <laughs> Again, yeah, right. read it in a week. Uh, wow, I'm a slow reader. And City of God is an enormous undertaking. It's worse than well, it, it's on par with any sort of full systematic theology book you've ever seen, where it's just kind of like. Oh, this is going to take a long time. Yeah. And it's different in that um, he'll talk about a theological issue, and then he'll talk about a kind of a contemporary uh, political issue, and then he'll talk about, you know, an, an event that happened in ancient Rome, and, you know, this is why this bridge collapsed, and we can't know this, but we can know this. And I'm like, man, I'm not interested in knowing why that bridge collapsed. Yeah. Um, but it is helpful to know that the reason he wrote it is yeah. to defend the idea of no, no, no. This is not the this is not the wrath of the pagan gods. Right. Um, to a people who are going, well, wow, our civilization lasted eight hundred years under those pagan gods, and now we've turned to this Christian god, and here, just a few years later, boom, everything's falling apart. Alaric and the Visigoths have crashed in and torn apart our whole society. Yep, that's right. His goal, and the reason it's why it's called City of God, uh, is because his goal in writing was basically to outline the issue that uh, that even though Rome had been Christianized, quote unquote. 
um, what many people had done was they had taken their their hope, their comfort uh, from this pagan society here on earth and put it in this Christian society here on earth, but it, all of their hopes still remained very physical, very temporal, very uh, rooted here in earth and in the protection and the and the satisfaction that could come from being a part of a Christian empire, again, quote-unquote, um, for these things in a very physical way. Whereas Augustine came along to say, hey, the issue that you're having and the pro- why you're, you're struggling with understanding how this could happen is because you are still thinking far too much in terms of, of the kingdom of God being exclusively physical. And so he wrote The City of God to illustrate the point and to help direct people's attention to the reality that uh, that essentially we live as citizens of two ki- two kingdoms. Mm-hmm. Uh, we live as citizens of our kingdom here on earth. For, for us, that would be Americans. We're Americans here on earth. Um, but we also, as Christians, are members of the city of God, a part of another kingdom, uh, a heavenly kingdom, and one that will one day be fully realized, uh, but it is not going to be fully realized by any sort of physical, earthly means of a nation protecting us because they are, uh, quote-unquote, a Christian nation. Yeah. And so he, he was, a, I think, a, to a certain degree, attempting to address the the lack of of hope and assurance that people were having because they had placed it in the wrong thing. And he was hoping to reroute that that hope and place it in Christ and in, in these spiritual, heavenly truths and realities of God and the kingdom of God, not in an emperor that happens to be Christian uh, giving me some sort of special protection. Yeah. So, it, so it, it it kind of motivated him to write this book and uh, and to outline the way in which people tend to put their hope, put their affections, put their things, their um, their their lives in the hands of things that will ultimately let them down. Right. right. I mean, it, it is helpful because uh, one thing we're seeing right now in our time is that people are struggling so much because we don't have solid relationships. Um, but there are dangers to having solid relationships that you trust each other too much. And the things that the other people tell you, well, you should give your whole self for this community or, or for this aspect, this thing that we all value. Well, that's that's a lie. And, and uh, giving yourself uh, for a community might be worthwhile, but giving yourself to the idols that that community worships is not. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and as all human communities... Uh, have shortcomings and have sins. If you, if I've thought about this, if you look at um, both sides of your family, you will find besetting sins that are sort of endemic to both sides of your family. Well, communities have those too. And often at the end of that searching, you will find these idols, these things that people have said like, well, we should give ourselves to this. Mm-hmm. And that's what it's about. Well, so we, we want people to have relationships, but the ultimate relationship in your life has to be that relationship with God. It is the North star that guides all the other relationships. Right. You cannot be guided ultimately by anything else. It will betray you. You'll end up in circles in the ocean to extend the metaphor. Um, it's just, it's just no good. These relationships are there uh, to provide companionship and love and, and, and these things, but your purpose and the deepest, uh, the deepest notions have to come from your relationship with God. Yep. That's right. And so he, he kind of then, I say he as in Leonardo, uh, moves to sort of switch and say, okay, now here's an example that we see of someone doing this in the scriptures. And he specifically points us to Paul uh, when he goes to Athens in Acts chapter 17, um, which 
I've kind of outlined a few verses from that, but what do we see from from Paul in Acts chapter 17? Well, uh, we see in verse 16, now while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. Verse 17 says, so he reasoned in the synagogues with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Uh, And then it goes on in verses 22 through 25, uh, and we read this. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Paul takes it upon himself here in this story in Acts. He, he takes, uh, takes, well, takes it upon himself as he sees these idols and these various things that are being worshipped and the people are giving themselves over to in Athens, and he addresses it directly and says, these are idols. These are things that you are worshiping that are not worth your worship, but the one who is worth your worship, in fact, the one who you have identified as the unknown God, is the one who gives everything and who provides all that uh, that you have, even from, from the riches of his grace. Uh, and he begins to expound to them the, the mercies and riches and goodness of God and his grace in Christ Jesus and preaches to them uh, Christ and his resurrection. So, um, this it becomes kind of the motivation for us then to do something similar and to identify and tells us sort of a, uh, gives us a hint of why this is valuable to identify the idols of our city. Um, not just so that we can sit back and go, well, there's another way those people are sinning. There's another way those people are sinning, but so we can both examine our own hearts and say, what ways am I tempted to fall into this same, uh, same idolatrous behavior? But also, if I want to reach these people with the gospel, which should be our goal, uh, then I need to know what are some of the things that they're worshiping, what are some of the things that they've given themselves over to, so I can address that appropriately. Yeah, and this is uh, helpful because our initial, probably the idols in the Old Testament that catch our greatest attention would be things like um, Baals and Asherah poles and, mm-hmm. and all these sorts of things, uh, evil demons. Yeah. Uh, and, and sure, that can happen. I mean... Uh, People worshipped Molech, and Molech asked for their children to be burned in the fire. And I mean, there's there's deep evil that happens there. Mm-hmm. But one other thing that can happen is you can take a good thing and elevate it to the highest place, which is also idolatry. Um, and so one thing that we can point to here is that if you don't have the knowledge that what God is after is a city that is yet to come, you can have an idol of the city itself that you live in. Well, I'll give my all to build this city. Well, that city, uh, God will purify that city himself, and that's a that's a job he has ahead of him and not one that you can do. And, and uh, caring for people is good, but building a city is not an ultimate goal uh, that God has for you. In fact, it's one that he intends to do himself. He'll build mm-hmm. He'll build a city better than, than any of us can oh, yeah. build. And so uh, the preaching of the gospel means just saying to people, like, look, there is one who is good. That is that is Jesus who is worthy of your life, who will not betray you, who will, in fact, he has your best interests really at heart, and he knows what you really need. 
Um, and so we, one of our problems is we often, we might even get a sense from God to go, oh, this is a good thing that I'm capable of. And then we try to take it. And that's when we, we can make that an idol. When we try to take it ourselves and then we go, I got it. And I, I will live, uh, I know how to guide this. I know how to measure my life and number my days and, and set my timetables around this. Uh, you don't. Um, and you need help with that. You, yeah. you will, it'll betray you. Yeah. Essentially, it sounds like we're saying trying to take the good gifts that God has given them and use them apart from the yep. from from Him, you know, and and that's not what we were intended to do, and mm-hmm. and that's when it becomes becomes idolatrous. Well, what do you think? You ready to to talk about uh, some of the idols of Evansville, um, or you want to talk more about methodology? Well, just a little bit about um, what Paul does, because I, I think we have built a pretty good kind of sense. Um, but but he has that sudden outburst. He's concerned mm-hmm. for right. the people, yeah. and and it's it's beyond uh, what they call in here is this romanticized notion of, uh, well, I wish that those people knew Christ. It's like yeah, wish is uh, a good start, but that's kind of like how um, goodwill is not love. Goodwill means mm-hmm. I want good things to happen for you, but I'm not interested in particularly doing anything about it. Love is sacrifice. Love is very objective in the Bible. Right. Uh, love means you're willing to sacrifice, give of what you have towards a particular end. Uh, goodwill is not enough. Uh, Jesus could have had goodwill, and he said, you know, I hope you guys find some way out of your sins. Uh, that would not have been uh, enough. That wouldn't have got it done for us because we wouldn't. We wouldn't find a way out of our sins. Right. Um, and, and in fact, what, what we are called to in the Scriptures uh, is love. And so what Paul has is is this unease, this sense of uh, distress, uh, spiritual discomfort, that these people are giving themselves to things that will destroy them. And he was not okay with that. It, it is, it's, it's an emotion that I think unless you've read the Bible, um, and maybe, I don't know, maybe you might experience it some if you're a, a parent, uh, that you, you see people you love... Um, hurting themselves and destroying themselves and you just you want better for them and it bothers you so much that you have to do something about it um so that 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 is the initial sense and that he is he will then endure spiritual suffering and pain to get somewhere about it and that's the test if it becomes um inconvenient for you uh, will you push through that inconvenience or does the inconvenience when you over and you go, well, I hope somebody else helps them. Yeah. Um, that's what he experiences. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In verse 16 of Acts 17 he says that his spirit was provoked with yeah. him when he saw the city was full of idols. That that's something more than just like, mm, mm, bummer stinks for them. Um, that's, that's a, a spirit of one who's, whose heart is broken. Who's, who is, aching and, and reeling with the reality of the fact that this city is so overrun with uh, with idolatry and and left to itself is is on the fast track to hell yeah and that that broke Paul's heart yeah. um, and as you know the, the question we, we need to ask ourselves is is uh, do our heart does our heart break for for our city right you know right and so that that is the first one what we can call spiritual involvement uh the second one that uh leonardo points towards here is uh cultural saturation Mm -hmm. and full immersion in the city so that you actually involve yourself in the life uh, of of the city and in the lives of the people uh he says that paul sees the city Paul reasons with people, asking questions, conversing, talking, listening, uh, engaging with 
seeing what kind of arts uh, the arts are a great yeah. a great indicator of what is valued and even often worshipped uh, in a yeah. in a city. He actually quotes one of their poets back to them later right. on in the chapter. Yeah. Right. And then he disputes with uh, the Stoics and the Epicureans, who are the philosophers, who are the people who are sort of uh, what you can call the talking heads, the people who say, these are the things that are great. Actually, I've thought about this. I, these, this is, I'm going to distill it down for you. These are the important things. And this is how you ought to think about them. And he says, really? Well, let me talk to you. Let me ask you some questions then about that. And uh, that is needed in our day, where uh, mostly the Epicureans uh, have carried the day. There are very few Stoics in, uh, in our culture, very few people who are saying, you know, take a step back, think it through, don't get your emotions too involved. We are not typically that kind of people. We're much more Epicurean in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, and so uh, he talks more about literature, that uh, he knows their uh, religious practices, uh, and he is curious. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's an important part in this too. You don't you don't come in as some sort of uh, Pharisaical outsider saying, "I have the knowledge because I, unlike you all, worship, uh, don't worship uh, evil things." Right. Um, that you you live among these people and you have a, a spirit. I mean, the Bible talks about you tell the truth in love. Right. You you don't tell it out of some sense of superiority or for any other reason you tell it out of care and concern and and then wait to see what the response is yeah and then the third thing that he he points out leonardo that is is uh theological insightfulness so the three things were spiritual involvement uh one two cultural saturation and three is theological insightfulness and this just takes time yeah uh, that that yeah that often there are artifacts the statues you should you should consider statues yeah uh, because we we don't make those just for no reason it takes they, time it takes money oh yeah they're put there for a reason right yeah and uh, that those can be an indicator but then see exactly what's happening with those uh, how how are those uh, symbols uh, finding them their way to the hearts of people and why why are those people open to those kinds of symbol. Um, and, and so he talks about social habits, uh, liturgies of the city, which we don't think about liturgies, yeah. but there are rhythms to life. Yeah. And, and we have them, you know. Um, I mean, goodness, this is Halloween, and uh, there will be lots of candy that is sought tonight. Well, we, you, you do yourself wrong if you think, well, yeah, because there's no real underlying reasons for that. Uh, that's just what people do oh goodness gracious there are underlying reasons and you can see that if you start asking like okay do we think that um wonder are we keeping ourselves from candy on a general basis no not necessarily so uh, why why do we have this enormous feast of candy on this day what what is the meaning behind this what mm-hmm. what, what are we what are we after is is this sensible and you know there's plenty of things where it's like it's kind of not sensible <laughs> well then then what are we doing yeah. Uh, think more about it than just, I don't know, just what we've always done. Yeah. Well, yeah, there, there are reasons why we're willing to go along with this idea that, frankly, if you got a group of people, even a group of people who uh, were of a sim- pretty similar mind, and you said, you know what, let's all dress up like sharks on International <laughs> Shark Day and just go around using our fake shark jaws and latching on to people, because well, it will be fun. Well, it might be fun, but you're probably not going to get those people to do that, because it's weird. Well, yeah, I, I would do that if you wanted to. I, okay, Shark maybe Week next you year. You and I, I would, I'd love it. Yeah, uh, 
but we do dress up in weird costumes. We dress our kids up in these weird costumes and go around like, yeah, get all that candy. I'll fight with you for the next few weeks about how much of it you can have. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a whole different thing when you're a parent. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, uh, those are, are his categories that help us to get there. I would encourage uh, anyone, wherever city that you live in, yeah. and identify these things. Um, yeah. And look... If you're hearing this and you go, I don't even know how committed I am to Christianity. Look, I'm telling you, this is the heart of mm. Christianity because God wants to expose to you that there are plenty of things you'll give yourself to that will destroy you if you're not careful, yeah. that that will find a way into your heart and poison your heart, that will poison your relationships, that will damage you, that will that you will lie to yourself about them. You'll you'll lie to others to get it. That that is the telltale sign of an idol. So when you don't want to tell other people the truth of how much you really want it, how much you feel that you might need it, uh, whether that's the approval of other people or um, you know even a, a physical thing in and of itself that you know might be the car sitting in your garage right now. Uh, these things are insidious, and uh, and and we can we can take things. Uh, we can be treated. When we're young, for instance, like we have no value and that can lead us to go, well, I'll prove my value by making money or I'll prove my value by being powerful. We we are strange creatures Mm -hmm. uh, who we don't even understand the inner workings of our heart a lot of the times, but the Bible does. And God wants to reveal to us what we really are like, but not just to say, look how terrible you are, but to say, I want to give you a new heart. I want to make a new life for you. Yes. That is, is not God's end goal to just expose us to ruin. It is to expose us so that we can have a better life because repentance yep. is a necessary part of that. Turning That's right. That sin. That's right. One of the things you'll notice about as we identify these these idols of Evansville is that there there is a there is a human, a, a heart desire that's attempting to be fulfilled in these idols. And we are saying the idols are going to fall short every time. Mm-hmm. But in addition, we will also say, what is the gospel alternative to these things? And that's a part of what we want to do with this as well. Again, not just to identify them and say, look how terrible you are, but to say you have desires, you have uh, things that are causing you to to so cling to whatever this other thing is, this idol. Um, but let me tell you, there's something else that will satisfy these desires that you have, these needs that you have, these longings that you have, yeah. but it's not found here. It's found in the gospel. Mm-hmm. It's found in Christ. And so that's what, that's what we want to do um, here today. And so without further ado, there you uh, go. I'm ready to, uh, to talk about some of these idols. Why don't we, why don't we alternate? So okay. I, I know that I've got three that yeah, I've Yeah, we went away last week and we just thought about it a little bit. Yeah. And we came up with three. I would not say they're all together uh, completely disparate or different, right. but, uh, but they are not the same words and not the same uh, ideas. And so here are six. Yep, yep, you'll see some crossover. So so I'll go ahead and start. Um, one of the, the idols of Evansville that I've identified um, is the idol of family. Mm-hmm. As we've said, an idol can be something that is given by God and is good, but when it is elevated beyond its intended purpose, whenever it is the thing that uh, that affection is, is granted to, that it doesn't belong there, or a, a place where someone is seeking some sort of satisfaction or identity from it, then it becomes an idol. And I think family is one of those things. And, and I can give a few examples. Um, things like the, uh, the pride of, of raising a family here in Evansville. I don't know if you realize this. For a long time, Evansville was on the list of like top uh, 100 cities to raise a family in in the U.S. Really? I didn't yeah. Know that. Yeah, I don't know if we're still there or not, but we were for a time. Um, it was kind of a point of pride for, for Evansville, the sort of um, family atmosphere, family environment. 
um, that, you know, by and large isn't a, isn't a bad thing. Uh, but, but another area I think in which we see the idolatry of family coming into play, um, is we see a person's identity, a person's, um, sense of purpose being found solely in family. And, and I think it's easiest to think about this in terms of a parent, um, and a child relationship. So, so as a parent, it's very easy for us. I, I can tell you, it's very easy for me to overly emphasize my identity as being found in my children and how I raise them. And, and even in, and how I relate to the world now oftentimes is sometimes inevitably, but sometimes by my own doing is filtered through my role as a parent, my connection to my family. Um, and even at times that can infiltrate even our worship too. Um, here's another example of ways in which I think we see the idolatry of family coming to bear. And this is a tough one sometimes for pastors to talk about. And certainly I'm, my goal in saying this is not to cause anyone undue distress, but how often is it that the, for, for Christians even, I'm talking about Christians here, um, or people who go to church, at least claim to be Christians, how often, how easy is it for us to allow things like a child's sporting event to take precedent over corporate worship. This is not a new thing. It is, well, it's sort of new in the sense that there was a a time here in the United States when Sundays were sort of set aside, safeguarded by society in general. Well, that's not the society we live in today. Today, Sundays by the world are largely viewed as another weekend. It's a free day to do whatever you want, to have more events, to have practices, these kinds of things. Um, it's very common for sporting events, recitals, whatever the case may be, band, these things to become and play such a significant role in our lives that we will even give them priority and precedence over worship, over gathering together with our brothers and sisters in Christ, over the church, and these kinds of things. And I think that's indicative of how we view them in our lives, that they take a higher precedent. They, they take a greater priority in our lives than what, um, in many cases and many times, than what the Lord does and, and the worship of the Lord does. Would you agree, disagree? Am I on oh, yeah. point, off point? Yeah, certainly. It's um, one of the strange things about uh, living here. It's been very obvious for me, uh, having come from Southern Illinois, because one of the first questions people will ask you is uh, what high school you went to. And I always say Harrisburg High School, Harrisburg, Illinois, and immediately diffuses the situation because what that does in this town is it identifies um, what socially, how high or low your family um, might be generally, um, and then re- sort of what region, you know, what your background kind of is because, you know, Evansville, uh, West Side was... Uh, German Catholic in, in, in a lot of ways in the beginning, much more traditional. East side is sort of more commercial, more new. And then the further you go east, you get to, to Newburgh, which is where a lot of new money has been here in Evansville. Uh, old money sort of on the north side uh, of Evansville and McCutcheonville and these sorts of places. And so you have all these identifiers that tie in with family. Another thing we could say something about, which is success. Um, yeah. But that this is a question you get asked a lot here and that's there's there's a background to that but then again we might not cognitively think about why we're making the decisions that we make but there are reasons why we would choose one over the other and are we really sure 
that it'll be the better decision in the long term to go. Oh no no, I I'm happy to go along with uh, you know my fourth graders soccer game happening on Sunday morning. Uh, are we sure that that's uh, sorted out as the best decision for them? Uh, and what are you trying to prove? through that. We've all seen someone who um, has a child on the field and it seems to be more about the parent than it is about mm-hmm. the child. And um, your, your family is a good thing given by God, but yes, just like yeah. we have said, any of these good things can reach an unhealthy state yeah. uh, and too high of a priority. Yeah. E- even to the point where as a parent, you can be a sort of living and being successful vicariously through your children. Um, the pride that, that I've seen from some parents and I'm tempted to as well of, you know, my kid has a 4.0 GPA is graduating with this or this degree is, is the, you know, in this position or whatever, you know, from, from all the way up. And there's a, a pride that kind of can yeah. fill a person almost in a sense of a part of that glory comes to me because as their parent, I help to make that happen, facilitate yeah. that certain degree. Yeah. And it, a part of these, uh, these things often creep up on us. For instance, I, I, I know families and I, it's easy for me to speak to this, but that's what we need. We need people to speak who uh, are often not so involved in something. Uh, so for instance, uh, one of the things that's happened with sports is if you want your child to be uh, on, say, a high school baseball team, often you're talking about traveling starting in first, second, grade and that child going to practices Mm -hmm. uh throughout a year traveling all over the place at your own expense and here's what here's my challenge you should you should decide for yourself what's my limit on this Mm -hmm. and if you're unwilling to place a limit on it if if your limit is well we'll just see oh that's that's a foolish place to be because um there's just no telling what will be asked of you in in that regard and if all you're the only question you're asking is well um, I'll see how important it is in the moment. Uh, we're really bad at that. We're really bad at saying enough is enough. And I did this for what we're really good at is going, well, I did it three years. What's four? Well, I did it five years. What's six? Which, right. Well, that's what we are geared to, to keep, you know, we are that stinking frog in the pot of boiling water going, I don't know. I mean, I guess I can handle it a little hotter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and the, the, the lie I think that's being believed in this is that, and, this is a way for to for uh, parents, but even I think it also comes down to spouses. You can do the same thing with your spouse. Um, there is a sense of purpose and fulfilled purpose mm-hmm. to be found in how well you perform as a parent, as a spouse, as a child. All these different things. You essentially you put your um, you find your identity so in your family that that becomes a thing that well. This is my purpose in life, yeah. is to be a good husband, a good father, a good mother, uh, a good whatever. Yeah. Um, and and, and one thing people don't talk about, if anybody hearing who's not a parent yet, there is a, there's a lot of stress that, that happens when you're a parent. You go, well, I want to do this well, and I want to do this right. Um, one, you're not going to be a perfect parent. Uh, what, what you are called by God to do is to protect, provide, nurture this child you will not be a perfect example. Mm-mm. Look, just do, do your best and mm-hmm. let God handle it. Um, because that that is one of the things uh, we are unreasonable about idols. Right. And and if you are, if you in your heart, I mean, we can end up in a place where we go, well, I have to be, especially if you had, if you felt let down by your parent, you know, well, I have to be better. Yeah. Oh, you, you, 
trust God with your ideals about what kind of parent you ought to be. You can set unreasonable expectations for yourself. Yeah. Because these things, we do these sometimes to assuage or soothe our conscience and to go, well, I don't know exactly how to have these hard conversations. I don't know exactly how to be a great teacher or how to really encourage my child. I'm afraid, in fact, I'll discourage my child. But I can certainly have them at every baseball practice and show up there. Listen, that's dangerous game. Yeah. And you need to make sure that that's where you really ought to be rather than just doing that out of fear. Right. Uh, so that you can go, well, I don't know. I don't know exactly what I was doing, but I was doing something. Uh, that's not, you don't have to be there. You really don't. And I, and I know that happens. Yeah. And I, I think that's sort of the lie that's believed is this idea that you can find fulfilled purpose and, and you can leave a legacy uh, through through your family. Yeah. And the, the it gospel. It can be a vehicle for a relationship. Right. But it. Uh, right. Don't let it take over the relationship. Right. It's a good thing. Family is a good thing. Right. That's what we're saying. It's what we're acknowledging. Uh, but the but the gospel answer to sort of prevent us from keeping family from becoming an idol uh, is understanding that we are to be we are to live as a husband as a father as a wife uh, as a daughter whatever the case may be we are to live in that context live our lives to the glory of God and when you think about even your parenting in that way since we're sort of camped out there a little bit when you think about your parenting in that way you begin to change the measure of success as a parent too. Whereas too often we measure success as a parent in terms of dollars and cents and what we've provided for them and, and what sort of jump start we've given them in life or whatever, um, rather than have I glorified God through the way I've parented. Mm-hmm. When my, even that's part of the question we ought to ask, I think, is as a parent, when my child looks back on, on our time, will, will my child think, well, if my dad would have taken me to more baseball practices, if, I, if he would have put me in more uh, sporting events, if he would have... Um, you know, whatever the case might be, or would I want my child to say that maybe my dad didn't do all those things, but one thing I saw was my dad had a desire to glorify God in his life. Um, I think that's going to have a far deeper impact than, than anything else we might do uh, to live our lives and to parent and to spouse and to uh, be a child um, re- relating to our family to the glory of God and having that as our primary focus because that is our main purpose that God has given us. He has yeah. called us and created us for his own glory. Yeah. And the more we center ourselves in the things we do and and the ways and relationships we have around that, the more we will we will find joy, the more we will find our purpose fulfilled and the more God's going to be glorified. Yeah. Um, plus I think as well the gospel says, "Hey, in Christ, you've been included into the been included into the family of God." Right. Yeah. And so, for those people who think I had a crappy earthly family, and guess what? Some people have crappy earthly families. They have parents who don't love them and care for them the way they should, or perhaps are absent altogether. Um, they have siblings who who have they have broken relationships with. All these things, or some people live their life as far as a physical earthly family, um, very alone. Yeah. The gospel says, guess what? Even if all of that is true of you, or any of that is true of you, in Christ Jesus, you've been included into a family, yeah. the family of God, uh, and so yeah. that's. Yeah, you are known and loved and loved yeah. and known, and it's, uh, it is good. Yeah. So that's my number one. All right. Family. What's yours? Um, we'll call mine number two. Okay. Uh, so that uh, we intermix uh, our two lists here. <laughs> so what I thought of first is uh, comfort, which is, I think, uh, a lot of people would resonate with. Mm-hmm. We, we are creatures of comfort. Uh, we are prone. It's hard for us to put ourselves out. Um, we make our 
couches comfortable. We make our pillows soft, and they like to keep us. They they like to hold on to us. Um, but this is uh, this is an idol. This is a danger because we have a lot of things in our lives that will be uncomfortable. Um, we have a lot of uh, conversations in our lives that need to be had, whether they are comfortable or not. Um, but even you can start at our base physical comfort. Um, we have to be careful at how comfortable we make our lives because um, there are plenty of situations that we need to push ourselves in. And so uh, this can run um, physically. We need to be uncomfortable enough to have some sort of exercise. Uh, you and I have talked as a uh, there's not a lot of people on the greenway uh, here, which is the primary place where there would be people exercising. Yeah. Um, there are we have a lot of health clubs and fitness clubs, and and you know they this is happening. Um, comfort though, if we are making ourselves uncomfortable for say our own glorification, that is that is also an idol our our own selves. Um, but just to to zero in on this one. Um, this basic element of wanting to have our body feel at ease at all times, um, it's not good for us. Our purpose is to do good works, which God has prepared for us ahead of time to do. And uh, work is, ever since the fall, it, it is challenging, it's cursed. All of our work is going to have, uh, you can imagine like the plow, that just like uh, the the soil was cursed and Abel worked the soil and there were rocks and stones and his work was hard and every bit of all the work that anybody who hears me, all the work that you are doing is going to have frustrations and challenges, um, but we can't give up because we were made to accomplish good works. And so this idol of comfort, we can't yield to. And whether that is relational comfort or base physical comfort, um, emotional, uh, we have to have some discomfort. We have to have the ability to say, I'm not going to sit here and be quiet about this. I care too much about this person. Sooner or later, if you love people, you will find a moment where you go, I need to say something. I need to do something here. And it's not easy, but I need to do it anyway. Yeah. I, I think that's a really good point that you're making, especially in regards to, well, man, I think of it in all different areas. But um, you mentioned uh, rela- relationally. Um, we are, Man, we are so hesitant to do anything that's going to make things uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Even the idea of uncomfortable silence, we talk about that, um, that a lot of people experience and are happy to break that silence because it's uncomfortable. Well, hey, guess what? Silence isn't always bad. Sometimes it's needed. Sometimes it's a useful thing. But thinking about relationships and the necessity of having uncomfortable conversations, uncomfortable um, moments... But when we think about some of our best relationships, and I would say even with me and you, we have a great relationship, a solid friendship, but one that is not sitting on a, a bed of pure comfort right. that we've never had any moments where we've right. been uncomfortable by uh, conversations that we've had to have or, or things that have been done. Um, those are necessary things at times mm-hmm. to help expose our sin, to help sanctify us, to help do these things. And, but we as, as the people that we are, are really hesitant to have those kinds of conversations that are going to be uncomfortable. We know they are going to be uncomfortable, but so often we need to. And so that specifically, I would resonate with that, um, that 
we so love our comfort that we don't we don't even want to talk about things that are going to make us uncomfortable, no matter how good it might be for us. Right. I mean, the lie is that uh, good things should be easy. Yeah. And they're not. So most of the time, they aren't. Oh, uh, yeah. The best things are hardly ever easy. Yeah. Um, As Christians, when we think about going on the mission field, I'll, I'll say this for myself. You know what the first place my mind goes to? That sounds really uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if I went onto the mission field, I wouldn't have all of the things that I have now that make me so uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And we believe this lie that to sacrifice comfort is to sacrifice joy. Right, and right. I think, I think what yeah. God would have us to see is that those two are not synonymous. Right. That, and many times, as Christians, we are doing exactly that. We are we are holding on to comfort at the expense of the joy that God has in store for us. Yeah, I, I'd like to jump for a moment to a completely different realm. The people we often admire, say, in terms of business practices or in mm-hmm. terms of athletes, oh, behind that is a lot of discomfort. Yeah. A lot of a challenging. <laughs> One of the strangest things I've heard from really successful business people is that they have always shunned meetings where everybody in the room says, yes, 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 we're all agreed. They, they, and in fact, that makes them very uncomfortable that they go, no, there's no, if, if it's this easy, then this should have already been worked out a long time ago. Something is missing. Mm-hmm. If we are all just sitting here going, sure, certainly, completely, yes, 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 that is not a good meeting. And yeah. in fact, I need to dig deeper because that's, uh, if it, it's not going to be this easy. Mm-hmm. If it were this easy, everyone that we know would have already had a business that is way more successful and in whatever area you're thinking about. And that's been curious to me because frankly, I'm a person who likes meetings that go, oh yeah, everybody seems to be on the same page. <laughs> um, but I think that I think that those guys uh, are right yep. about kind of, now often the, the reason we're not uh, reaching our goals and accomplishing our purpose is because we don't like to ask the hard questions and to push beyond sort of the status quo. These uh, let's go for the low hanging fruit and just do what is easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good one. Um, number three, uh, I've identified this idol as food as one True. of the idols of Evansville. The examples for this one, the first one seems obvious. We have a whole festival. That happens once a year. That just happened earlier this month, the Fall Festival, Westside Nut Club Fall Festival. Um, that its its entire emphasis is on food. You can go to the Fall Festival and eat any kind of food you want. Um, you name it, they fry it. You right. know that's that's kind of the, what the Fall Festival is all about. And there is this kind of glorification, even you know, and especially around that week, this glorification of food and and love of food and. <laughs> um, that is something that we see especially emphasized the week of Fall Festival, but I think certainly something that is present year-round. And I think that's a part of why, just a few years back, you maybe remember this, uh, I'm talking about all the rankings of Evansville, and they're never good rankings. Uh, Evansville was ranked as the number one most obese city in the world, yeah. um, which is not a good yeah. not a good thing to be known for. Uh, but I do think it's indicative of an issue that we have um, particularly here in, in our area of Evansville, where food is glorified beyond what God has mm-hmm. intended for it to be. Again, you and I are sitting here, and we both acknowledge we're neither one foodies, quote-unquote. Mm-hmm. Um, we eat, and we enjoy eating. It's certainly something that we enjoy, and we can taste good food and things like that. But um, but by and large, a lot of the people around us, the people that we know, um, food is more than just something given by God for our sustenance and for our joy. It's something that becomes an idol. Yeah. It becomes something in which we 
turn, whether to find satisfaction, something that we turn to in order to perhaps drown sorrows, mm-hmm. something that we turn to for, for whatever the case might be for something that God didn't intend yeah. um, for it to grant us. And I think that's part of what it does. People, people turn to uh, food to find, to be satisfied. They think, think that it will satisfy them or, or perhaps to find a certain amount of pleasure in food. And, and we can, we can find a certain amount of pleasure in food. But the pleasure that comes from food is never going to be enough to satisfy kind of the longings of our heart, which are sometimes made manifest by our unhelpful, unhealthy relationship with food. Right. And so, yeah, I think that's one. Like I said, we see it in that case. Actually, here's something else that's interesting. I've been told this. I don't know if it's true or not, but I think it is, uh, that Evansville is a popular like testing zone for new restaurants or for restaurants who are going to try out new foods to see if they'll take or not. They try it out here in this area. If it's successful, they're like, okay, well then we'll try it other places. I've heard that. And I, um, certainly anecdotal because I haven't read it anywhere of of actual, you know, reasonable reputation. (laughs) Um, but it is having lived here long enough, you know, look, it's not the case in, uh, every place you live that people eat out to, to three times a day. And yeah. I mean, and I have been around enough people that I can tell you there are people that I know who oh, yeah. eat out two or three times a day. And this is before the age of sort of DoorDash and all the delivery services. Mm-hmm. Um, and that restaurants do come in and out of here on a regular pace. We, we just, we have a lot of restaurants considering the amount of people who are here and um, people here love them. I mean, goodness, when a new restaurant comes in, it is, it is shocking how <laughs> many people think, well, this, there's nothing else I need to do than go to that restaurant. And you, you know, you better, if you think you want to go there, you better be prepared to wait in line for a couple hours. Um, just strange that yeah, way. It is. It is. And I think it's tied to kind of a love of pleasure as well. Um, in a sense, maybe a sort of a hedonistic kind of element that comes out, a sort of nature that comes out in this um, love of food. But yeah, and I mean the lies that this pleasure will result in uh, anything beyond this momentary satisfaction. Yeah, the, the lie yeah. is that it will do more than just be a nice experience for uh, you know a half hour to an hour. That's right. That's all it will be. It, and really, it's sometimes it's nice in the moment, but then. An hour, ten minutes later, even you feel terrible. Yeah. But then, after a few hours, when that has been digested and your belly is empty again, hey, I'm in need of some more pleasure. Right, and and you know the the fall festival uh, itself is a, an example of something that companies do, which is uh, bringing something up on a limited basis and then taking it away so that people can't really think mm. straight about it. They go, well, this is only week out of the year. I can do this. So I did go there every day mm. and get, you know, something. Uh, companies like Disney, for instance, have done this in, in the way that they sell their movies. If you only sell them every few years, then you're going to have huge spikes of buying. And then those people who are on the fence that last week, well, I better go get it because, I mean, who knows when it'll be available again. The Disney vault. Yeah. Yeah. The vault, <laughs> you know, come on. And uh, and so, yeah, this is the thing about it is... Um, be sober and honest with yourself about what this really is and what it really has to offer you. Because, um, you know, C.S. Lewis uh, says that if I find in myself a desire which nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable uh, answer or the pro- most probable explanation for that desire is that I was made for another world. That's right. And one of the strange things about us is that we will try to cram, uh, say, a, a square-shaped 
peg into a round hole as far as a desire that is deeper. You know, what, what, what he, what C.S. Lewis said joy really was is a, a longing which nothing in this world can satisfy. But boy, do we try to fit in a lot of other things, trying to say, well, maybe a lot of this would satisfy it. Maybe a lot of pleasure as far as sex maybe a lot of pleasure of food maybe if everybody liked me maybe if everybody just thought I was an amazing person that would then fill this desire in my heart to be wanted to be liked and and it doesn't and and then we are horrible at being honest with ourselves about whether or not that is happening yeah and, and I think sort of the gospel answer is is rather than seeking satisfaction and and food and these kinds of things and and that that sort of pleasure it is a specific sort of subcategory of pleasure but people seek to be satisfied in these things rather the gospel says satisfaction comes through the bread of life through Jesus Christ yeah. um that yeah, that's I mean, this the is only a... way he says whoever whoever uh eats of my blood drinks of my flesh will never hunger will never thirst again uh, that's what Christ says about about himself and and being satisfied in him uh, that can't be said of any earthly food or or delectable item right and this is i mean this is a deep one uh if you think about how you know satan came to jesus in the wilderness and said hey you seem to be hungry why don't you tell these stones to become bread and Mm -hmm. you know jesus says my bread is to do the will of my father and to continue his work that that we all are tempted because we are fleshly creatures and god doesn't look at us and say why don't you just behave like a spiritual creature that you really are no we were made we were made this really curious odd thing that is a combination of spirit and flesh stuck together and will be forevermore and a strange thing to think about too that jesus will be forevermore uh who was pre-incarnate did not have a body but now forevermore will have a body uh that he he is not ashamed to call us brothers uh, well, that's that's amazing, and that's a deep mystery in the Bible. But it is not a curse that we have a body. It is just the unique, strange kind of creature that we are. We have certain things in common with the animals, and certain things in common with the angels. But we are all this put together. And God comes to us and says, "Well, yeah, I can help you to make sense of yourself, yeah. and I can help you to walk through this world." But boy, are there temptations that if you try to walk alone, that will own you. Yep. Um, and this is one of them. Yep. All right. Fourth, I have, and that is leisure. I put down uh, leisure. And this will be related to my next one that will have something more to do with work. Uh, this is a hardworking town. Yeah. But why? And there is this this idea, you know, everybody's working for the weekend. We even write songs about this, that there's, well, if I can, you know, if I can just get away, if I can u- use all this work to get to something enjoyable. Um, so this is even more of the idealized pleasure, that that will s- satisfy me if if I can get to the pleasure, to the leisure, if I can get away from this place where I'm putting in so much work. Um, yes, but will that really satisfy you? No matter what you do, whether you go to a French Lick to a casino, whether you get down to Cozumel, Mexico. Um, and these are this is hard for us because, look, if you and, and a girlfriend or you and a, your family go to... Ireland or if you go nobody else went with you you come back and how do you explain to them that experience and how do you explain whether or not it was really fulfilling if it was really all that you hoped it would be because look those of us who've been to like the Bahamas or it's, it's a beautiful place it's sure. amazing but did it really satisfy the depths of your soul did that time away really give you some sort of deep satisfaction and uh, drive to go on mm. uh, be honest about it no, it, despite how much your your Facebook and Instagram posts might communicate that it did, 
we all know that it didn't. And, and I think that does come into play here a little bit. We see people's yeah. posts from their well, yeah, these you're beautiful sitting, vacations. Goodness gracious, and, if you're in the yeah. middle of a work week looking on Instagram at somebody with the blue waters in the background, that's the most brutal form of it. Because, yeah. yeah, I'm sitting in like your home office or if you're sitting in some cubicle somewhere, that's brutal. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. And, and you, you get to believing this lie that like, well, man, they've got it. They've made it since they're able to go and do those things and, and enjoy such great leisure time while I'm stuck here working or, or whatever the case might be. Yeah, the, the, the lies that we, that we believe. And then you can easily fall into setting our attention on that and pursuing that with, to an unhealthy degree. Right. Uh, yeah, it becomes really unhealthy. Well, and one strange thing about it is that... Um, God made these places beautiful. Oh, and yeah. and I, I do very much believe if you want to know about some visions of the coming creation is all that and more, not mm. less, yeah. um, that, uh, that more of the world is as beautiful as uh, Acapulco. But we, I say this in a week when Acapulco has 60 mm. to 80% of its buildings destroyed because we live in a fallen world. Yeah. That behind these pictures of a frozen moment that looks so wonderful is the reality that our world is in a state of decay and that we long for the day when it won't be. Yeah. And yeah. this is a hopeful thing because though we know this and these are part of it too is that we are afraid. Well, it's horrible to think of these beautiful places that right behind it there is poverty and there's uh, destruction and there are people who are stealing each other's wallets and, and all the things that is the reality in our broken world that there is a better world that is to come, that God will remake and fix this world and put it right. And until then, we have to look at this world that is beautiful in some ways, but is so horrible in others. Yes, but take heart. I mean, Jesus says, I've overcome the world. Mm-hmm. And that's what we have to look forward to. And then th- that helps us then to frame those images rightly and to right. go, that beauty tells me that I should look forward to a time yet to come. But that, that image is a lie because it doesn't communicate. That probably on that in that very city, someone was killed in that week mm. uh, by a criminal, yeah. um, and, and that there is evil always around. Uh, but this reminds me of the book of John is always saying like the light has come into the world, and the darkness hasn't understood it and doesn't overcome it. Um, Jesus, uh, John came as a testament to the light, and now the light has come, and the light is bearing fruit and working. Yeah. But where will you land? What are you yeah. doing with with this light and and yeah. um and and you know leisure is one of these things again it's this mid level uh, it's meant to be you you should have uh, there is there is a rhythm in the Bible that we are told to have that sure. you should rest on that on that seventh day yeah uh, you need that and you should expect that in fact that's sort of the rule and Jesus in fact has to say listen if you feel that you you might not need that on a given week or whatever then you can. You can go ahead and do what you want to do, but just know that that's a rhythm that God set for your good. Yeah. That you should rest now and then. So don't feel guilty. If you are on vacation hearing this, then by all means, enjoy yeah. it. But don't expect it to be some sort of motivation to carry you through even the next period of work. Right. You should not work from vacation to vacation, right. frustrated or disenchanted. Work is a part of God's calling for you. And then yeah. leisure. Labor produces leisure. Uh, right. These are things, these are principles that we see in the Bible. Right. But we don't, as what you're saying, we don't set aside those moments of leisure and rest as like 
the only time when true life is really right, lived. Right, right, right. And right. and all the work we do in between is just like getting us from from one moment of leisure to the next. Uh, oh goodness, you hear these horror stories about guys who worked at in a whirlpool till they were sixty five and then retired and died the next week. And somebody oh, yeah. goes, "Oh wow, they re- wasted their life for the you know like." Yeah. No, we don't live for retirement. Right. And and retirement, the, your goal in retirement should not be to just live only a life of leisure. No. You will you will not enjoy your life if there is no reason and purpose beyond right. just doing whatever your flesh feels like. That's right. If you're looking down and eyeing down um, retirement in the distance, same way people do the weekends, then you're going to live your life miserable even after you retire for those exact same reasons. And so... Um, so yeah, I think that's a good one. It reminds me of that song. Um, I don't remember who wrote it, but it was back in like maybe the late nineties, early two thousands as by like, I think it was a Christian artist, Amy Grant, Natalie Grant, something like that. I don't know. <laughs> one of those Grant gals. And, uh, it was like, there's gotta be more to life than chasing down every temporary high Yeah, was kind of the chorus of the song, the, the tagline. Um, and I remember like, that's what this makes me think of. Um, that people think, well, there's got to be more people who live this way from leisure to leisure to leisure ultimately are oftentimes left saying there's got to be more to life than this from just chasing down these exactly what they are, temporary high. The gospel says there is. We are called to to live our lives to the glory of God and to work to the glory of God and to enjoy leisure to the glory of God. All of these things together allow us an avenue of living full lives to the glory of God in Christ Jesus. And so that was, in fact, Stacy Orico. Did you just look it up? I did. It, it, you're right. It is Stacy Orico. I don't. What else did she do? I don't know. I think that uh, was it. Stuck. That's my favorite Stacy Orico. Oh yeah. How does that go? It's true. I'm stuck on you. Oof. No. Don't know that. Nah, I don't know. Uh, it, it was really kind of really kind of Christian Britney Spears ish. Yeah. yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> Back in the '90s, yeah. there was some stuff happening. <laughs> All right. Number five. Number five. Fifth idol of Rome. Uh, inclusion. And now this one, I think probably I'm, I'm generalizing or excuse me, I'm making it specific to Evansville, but probably could be generalized to the West uh, or the United States in general. But um, do you know what the, I don't know if it's still the slogan, but it was at least for a while the slogan of Evansville was. Oh, it still is. Yeah. E is for everyone is the sort of the Evansville slogan. You see it on billboards and flags and bumper stickers and all these things. And that sounds good in theory, right? Um, but it becomes a sort of ideal that, as we know with things like inclusion and tolerance, um, always has limits. And always has something else behind it besides just saying, well, everyone's included. Um, it's more than that, as we know. What oftentimes is necessarily meant by inclusion or by phrases like E is for everyone is all things are tolerated. That there are no moral judgments on how you lived your life uh, or how I live my life. Uh, that not only is everyone welcome, but everyone's lifestyle and moral habits, all of that is good and included and welcome. And A, that never ends up being the case. There are always some moral perspectives that are uh, cast aside um, and not allowed. And that should be the case to a certain degree, but oftentimes the ones that are rejected are probably <laughs> the ones that should be embraced and the ones that are embraced are the ones that should be rejected. Um, but this idea of inclusion becomes a sort of ideal, almost we, we picture what a utopia might be. Yeah. 
And always, it's that, from the world's perspective, it's that all-inclusive, no moral judgments, um, everyone and every kind of love and person is welcome no matter what. Uh, that's the ideal that's set up. And even though it's, I just described a utopia that doesn't exist, people have that in their brains when they're thinking things like everyone should be welcome, everyone should be included, all these kinds of stuff. And now, am I saying that society should ban people who embrace certain lifestyles or live out certain sins or, or, or moral lives that are wrong? No, that's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that oftentimes the word inclusion is a is a uh, synonymous with celebrate, sure, and, and embrace. I mean, behind this is this idea: everyone's right, everyone's good, everything is equally uh, praiseworthy mm-hmm. as far as uh, lifestyles. And and I mean, to push it a little further, like a slogan like "Love has no labels," mm. um, that doesn't hold up. Right. We still, thankfully, don't think it's okay for a an adult to have a sexual relationship with a child. Yeah. Well, then you're saying that that quote-unquote love has a wrong label. And yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. And I think there are plenty uh, of, of kinds of sexual expression that are not allowed, not praiseworthy. Yeah. Um, and so, okay, what are these? These are not... These are not spoken to because what this is, is it's, it's an oversimplified utopian ideal. It is yeah. a, if only we would let everyone do what they feel like doing, everything would be great. And it's like, well, that is completely and totally untrue. And right. if we lived in the kind of world where even we put down um, 20 random thoughts that ran through our head on every given day and carried around like a dry erase board with those 20 thoughts... You, we would not for a moment be able to say, well, if only we would each do our top 20 every day, we would finally be happy. No, there would be mass chaos. And uh, our, our hearts are not the kinds of hearts that you want to just follow the random top 20 of any given day. Right. Um, and the fact that we don't acknowledge that uh, is strange because if we were honest about what's happening inside of us, we would have to go, wow, this is a more complicated situation. I can't just say whatever happens to fly through my head is the good thing to do. No, we certainly, we don't, thankfully, yeah. uh, and we can't. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lie that's perpetuated in this that, that says that any sort of, um, moral standards are oppressive, um, and we want to be free of oppression. We want to be liberated, right? And that's that's where sort of the sexual liberation, sexual revolution, a lot of in a lot of ways comes from and originates from this idea that that any sort of moral standards um, are in and of themselves oppressive. Yeah, I mean, and, freedom is found through discipline. There's yeah. there's one major tension point to simple fact. Right. Uh, freedom is found through discipline. Discipline towards what? Yeah, towards the right ends. That's right. Uh, and that, that's how you attain. You don't attain freedom by going, I'll cut loose and do everything I feel like doing. No, that's actually a, the clearest pathway to bondage is to mm-hmm. cut loose and do whatever you might feel in any given moment. You will have no power over those desires. You will, right. And you will be decreasing in your power every day. You will day. be enslaved. Yeah. Yep, you will be enslaved. Where, whereas I think the gospel answer is understanding the goodness and the rightness of God's law but certainly understanding it in its proper context, that God gave his law, and his law is good, and it is right. Um, and by and large, it's good for human flourishing. Yeah. But even more so, it's good in that it shows us who God is. It shows us his character, reveals uh, reveals his character to us. 
Um, and as Christians, it shows us the right way for, for moral living, uh, but it also it exposes our sin, mm-hmm. which is what the law is intended to do. It's intended to expose our sin and to point us to the remedy of that sin, which right. is Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, to forgive us our sin, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and then to enable us, empower us, to live a life in which we can obey God's law. We can live up to that standard. Yeah. Not perfectly, but we can at least uh, uh, to a degree. Yep. All right, number six. And lastly, I put self-reliance. Um, this is, I think, what we are working towards in a lot of our labor and a lot of our focus on work and jobs and production and, and all the things that, frankly, Evansville is known for. I mean, one of the things that you hear talked about around here is uh, Evansville produced uh, warships yeah. in in World War II, and uh, we Pretty still cool. have you know the LST that sits down here most days on the riverfront, um, and we have produced this. This city has produced things in throughout its history, having been here on the river. Um, but to what end? Mostly, uh, well, so that I can feel self-reliant, that I know my own efforts are producing the ends that I desire in my life, making me successful, making me a person who is respectable. Uh, no, uh, we do these things. We were made to work, but not to glorify ourselves, not to further some sort of strange idea as if we gave ourselves these powers. Uh, we didn't. Um, there is a string. And even beyond, did you have a family who helped you to have a work ethic? Even beyond that, um, God gives us these so that we can ultimately serve and glorify Him, not so that we can then go, ah, how can I attain more for me? Uh, not, not so we can do our own kingdom building, uh, which is what is strange about self-reliance is in, invariably often what you do is you want to build a monument to yourself. Right. Uh, whether that's your your home and your property, or some people would, would be a business that they built, um, those monuments uh, to yourself, they can help you lie to yourself about how solid and strong that you are. Um, they can take on a life of their own. They could bleed you dry. Um, so dangerous. I mean, that's uh, one of the strange things you realize about uh, idols is that uh, our abilities are very dangerous to us. We, we will then come to look at it and go, well, this is something that obviously I produced. Oh, no. You know, God gives as he sees fit. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is not always a good thing that God gives so much talent or so much ability. Our abilities are very dangerous to us because we will, we will lie to ourselves about them and tell, us, tell, tell stories about where they came from, uh, how we got those abilities or how we got the things that we might have. Um, and so this, this impulse towards power and towards uh, often fortune and money um, that comes from this, it, the lie is that we did it. I mean, yeah. the lie is that we had the ability, um, and the, the other lie is that it will make us happy, because it's always, there's always something else. Mm-hmm. There's always a, a higher bar, you know, another, another car or another, uh, another artifact, something that we're trying to, to put on the property, another place that we might take our family. Um, it, it doesn't do it. Yeah, I think so, and I think it, it bleeds over into the, the life of Christians, too. Whereas this idea of self-reliance comes out in, in our connection to the church, where it, it can become easy for us to think, eh, maybe the church maybe serves a purpose, but I don't really need the church that much. Uh, I, I can do pretty good on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, and even to the, to the point that we forsake uh, the relationships that God has given us for this purpose. Um, that I mean, I see that all the time of people who even may, if they might not state it outright— um, 
that becomes sort of the way they live of, I've got it. Even in regards to my faith and my relationship with the Lord, it's something that I don't really need help with. And God says, hey, that's not true. We do need help. And I've given you the help that you need. I've given you uh, believers. I've given you brothers and sisters in Christ to come alongside of you, to encourage you, to challenge you, uh, to challenge you because you need them. The, the Bible has no categories for uh, Christians that are just on an island, that yeah. live on their own, that do things on their own. Nor is that his intention as far as with his giftings that he give, that he's given us. He's given us our giftings, and also as he, as you know, according to his, uh, to his will and his sovereignty, as he introduces challenges into our lives, uh, he has given us brothers and sisters, a community, in order to do those things with. To where we we can say, and freely say, I can't do it on my own. Uh, I I certainly am desperately in need of Christ and His help. Uh, but even more than that, I'm in need of my brothers and sisters in Christ. Right. Uh, and thankfully, God has given those things. Right. Yeah. yeah. So the gospel answer is that now you need the Lord first and others mm-hmm. second. Um, that that behind uh, all of this is a God who has freely given you uh, gifts, but not so you can heap them to yourself, nor that you can lie to yourself about where all that came from. Yeah. Um, so that you can, can honor and glorify him and, and then to, to bless others. Uh, we are given every blessing in our life in order to pass it on to others and to be a blessing. And that is that is what is true, uh, meaningful, purposeful, even joyous uh, living is to to then share uh, out of just a full heart, not looking for any sort of thanks or gratitude, just because it is good to live that way. Yep. So. To the glory of God. Yeah. Amen. All right. Well, that's six whole idols that we've just covered. And uh, I, my hope and prayer is that for everyone listening, this has been encouraging. If you're listening from a place besides Evansville, um, I would consider and, and encourage you to try and do this in your hometown. What are some of the idols in the place where you live? If you're a Christian and you want to know and have a desire to effectively minister and reach the people around you with the gospel, it's good to know what the what the pitfalls, what the obstacles to the gospels are in the place where you live. So I would consider and challenge you to do these things. If you're from Evansville and you disagree or agree with the list that we've compiled— um, man, if, if you want to reach out, absolutely reach out to us. We'd be happy to talk to you about those things. Maybe you can think of some other idols uh, that there are. Um, right. You can reach out to me at uh, jacksonvandyke at gmail.com. And me at dentonice at evansvillechurch.com. Um, you can find us. We would love to hear from that. I, we've never really asked for people to reach out before. but true. Um, I would love to hear from anyone if they... Agree, disagree, if there's some idols that maybe they think we should have included uh, in our list of Evansville's idols that we didn't, be happy to hear those things and, and be encouraged. Yep. So, All right. Well, this has been Empires of the Future. And we'll see you in the future.